ESG is under attack from all sides. At the most extreme end of the spectrum, we're seeing a flood of attacks from the climate deniers accusing the ESG framework of being a conspiracy of the woke. At the more liberal end of the spectrum, the accusation is that ESG has encouraged greenwashing and purpose washing and green hushing and all manner of other tricks and obfuscations. And those companies that are sincerely trying to clean up their operations along sustainable lines can be forgiven for getting increasingly nervous about the risks of falling foul of one side or the other. On this episode of Risky Business, we're joined by Rajiv Peshawaria, the CEO of the Stewardship Asia Center and the author of a new book, Sustainable Sustainability, Why ESG is Not Enough. I kicked off this conversation by citing a recent article in Bloomberg that was extremely condemnatory about ESG. The headline was, the tyranny of ESG has run its course. And what she says is, let me read you the first sentence. The idea of ESG has been changing since the day it was just a twinkle in a marketing man's eye. And to me, that was... See, it was uh, a man, marketing man. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, it wasn't in a marketing man's eye. It was a UN initiative. It was actually, you know, the whole idea of ESG and good governance has been part of business thinking forever. But the fact that this is now being presented as, oh, it was all just marketing in the first place, for me is a really interesting point to begin. I actually don't find it very weird because uh, why are we calling this a marketing man's uh, creation? You look at uh, the average sustainability team in a big company. Half of them, if not more, their background is comms and PR. So it seems to me that a 100% uh, ESG uh, sort of sustainability team in a big company, their main KPI is to produce a report as glossy as possible. So there's some truth in that. But see, I think that raises an interesting point because you call it the sustainability team. So I came into this, it was about sustainability, uh, which actually does have a definition, sustainable development, whether you can continue to do it into future generations and intergenerational equity. And it was about that idea of whether you can continue and you have the resources or the people or the governance structures that you can continue. And then ESG came along. I mean, there's already sustainability teams set up. There's already sustainability reports. But suddenly the trendy thing that everybody's talking about is ESG. And I don't think they're exactly the same. Well, therein lies the confusion, right? You ask five different people what is ESG and what is sustainability, and you get 15 different answers. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's exactly the issue. But it's, it's, a, it's a bit unfair to say it's just a marketing thing, though, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people have decided that, oh, this is a good way for us to actually burnish our image, and they've hired people to do that for them. But does that necessarily mean that they're not taking it seriously? Does that not necessarily mean that they're actually hiring people like Darian? to do real work. Yeah, so I've been gainfully employed for over 25 years now, so it has been happening for longer than the acronym has been around. Although I think if you look at the trajectory of my career, which did start in environment, environmental engineers, there was no such thing as a chief sustainability officer. And the sustainability reporting functions were relatively new. So people were starting to do sustainability reports. You had groups like the Global Reporting Initiative setting up frameworks. Uh, But it wasn't a C-suite discussion. It wasn't a board discussion at that time. It was more operational. So we had to do it. 
And I think with the onset of ESG and coming up through various political and governance discussions, it's elevated the role within organizations. So it does naturally have more of a marketing communications lens to it because of where it's risen in organizations. Yeah, you know, as I see it, uh, first of all, there are, there's the issue of having E, S, and G put together. E and S, as I see them, are existential challenges that we must address, including through business. G is kind of the governance, uh, the mechanism with which we, we address them. So putting those three together in itself is, is kind of odd. Uh, secondly, easily you can be good at E or S or G, and that can inflate the score and hide your inaction or, or otherwise in the other two. The Economist had a big story, a headline cover story last year, which was that it shouldn't be called ESG, it should just be called E, and actually it should just be C. So it should just be about carbon measurement uh, and dealing with climate change. And so their proposal was that we really do narrow down the focus. If we're going down the path of is ESG responsible for dealing with the market failure, I mean, there has been a market failure to put into the cost of environmental degradation and also social degradation if we start to look at forced labor, human trafficking, etc. So is ESG where there hasn't been the right regulation in place and therefore there's been this movement around corporations trying to manage the data themselves and to get better at their performance and regulation is slowly catching up or is it an entirely different area starting to look at whether a corporation, be that a person or just a corporation, doing good and behaving in an ethical manner. And I think those issues are sometimes all looked at in, from different perspectives. We've had regulatory scrutiny of governance for an awfully long time. And the idea that governments look at how executives behave as leaders of a business is, is rooted in corporate culture. Well, you go back to the, the reason why we are talking today. We're talking today about ESG because the need of the hour is to have positive impact on the environment and on society through business, right? Uh, and ESG just happens to be the most uh, sort of front runner of all mechanisms. There are like 50 mechanisms trying to get business to behave in a certain way. ESG has won in terms of being the front runner. But the real reason is we want environmental and social impact. So coming back to our earlier conversation, when we were talking about is it just a marketing ploy or are people actually doing good things, my question uh, is that of, out of every 10 organizations, how many of them are really creating meaningful environmental or social impact or how many of them are either greenwashing or window dressing or just checking the box as for the regulator? But does it matter? Because if we are seeing an evolutionary process of growth and engagement and actual effect, then that's what we're aiming for. I mean, we can't expect the ESG to suddenly just every company in the world to suddenly turn on a dime and become the kind of behavioral citizen or operation that we want, right? So the fact that it's actually moving is all that really matters at this point. Is it moving, though, is the question. I mean, you've got 25 or $26 trillion in ESG funds right now, right? Uh, one report I read is that there's a, it's growing at a CAGR of 12% which means that by early 2032, if my math is right, we will hit uh, over uh, $90 trillion. And that, by uh, some estimates, is the amount of money required to 
to uh, reverse meaningfully reverse climate change. So that should sound like good news, right? That we're going to be we are able to spend three and a half to five trillion dollars a year on climate change, and by 2032 we will have enough money to actually. No, it's not. And why? Because tell me how much of those current 25 trillion, uh, which is soon to go to 50 and then to 90, are actually going towards planetary impact? Well, the the point I'm making is: is it more than yesterday? And will it be more tomorrow? And the, you know, the the UN set up its own uh, group to actually look into the greenwashing area and try and con- to to deal with those aspects of it. So yeah, we are making progress. Oh, for we? sure. I mean, I thank Kofi Annan for having put this conversation at the table. The fact that we are conscious about the existential challenges already is a huge uh, plus. So I get that. I, I I agree with that. I think the problem is that we are running out of time, and we need. Innovation, innovation, innovation to solve for climate change, to solve for inequality. Let's take just those two. We'll come to tech vulnerability later, right? Uh, To solve these existential challenges, you need innovation, innovation, innovation. And last I checked, you cannot legislate innovation. But I don't think it was ever about innovation. And I also don't think ESG was about impacts necessarily. I mean, it started out being more a negative screening. Let's take out the companies that we think aren't aligned with these ideas around ESG. And so it's a screening tool for managing risk and usually risk to the financial institution rather than risk to the environment or to people. And then when you start applying an impact lens, and this is where you have the trillions of dollars that are going into it, but you're not finding there's the impact. But I don't think it was ever really set up to have an impact. It was set up on that risk screening perspective. I mean, look at the way we've defined ESG even in the last 15 minutes since the three of us are talking, right? And that's my point. Some people think of it only as a uh, elimination process for investment decisions and de-risking. So therefore, it is working for the corporation and not for impact. And some people see it as, okay, is this company ESG compliant? Meaning, are they do they have good ENS practices and G practices? And uh, therefore, are they making impact? So you ask different people. It's like, you know, several blind people looking at touching a different part of the elephant and describing what it is. That's what ESG has become right now. So I'd like to hear more about your concept of stewardship, um, because I've also worked in supply chains where you've got the bigger companies trying to help the smaller companies, uh, where you've got the resources at the large companies, whether it's for education or whether it's for setting up systems. How can you help the smaller companies? I mean, how do you formalize that through the center that you work in? So we are against formalizing things through only regulation. Regulation, as we said earlier, plays a very important role. It minimizes harm, and you need to have systems in civil society, no problem, no question. But formalizing everything through formulas and through regulation is what we are not talking about. Uh, What we need to evoke is the spirit. So we define uh, steward leadership, we call it steward leadership, uh, as uh, creating value by integrating the needs of stakeholders, society, future generations, and the environment. So that's the simple definition. By all means, we are not against profit. We are not against money. Businesses exist to make money. But make money by addressing today's challenges. Because you see the history of wealth creation. Anybody that was able to put their finger on the pain points of society at any given time and find profitable solutions for that generated huge amounts of wealth. Today, the biggest pain points are climate change, socioeconomic inequality, and cyber vulnerability. Anybody that puts a finger on that in an ethical way is going to generate the next billions. So it's about making money in a collective way, creating a collective better future. If you but will. we also, as you said, need to get individuals who are motivated by the right um, 
ideas and the right values exactly. to, to, to show leadership. Exactly. How do we do that? How do we so, identify them? How do we structure the yeah, whole process? Yeah. So uh, what are those values, first of all, right? Uh, and we've identified that working with at least 100 companies now, we have over 100 case studies, where we looked at companies that have been actually driving economic, um, uh, environmental and social sustainability uh, outcomes through their business, we try to answer the question, why do they do it and how do they do it? The why they do it is they, and how, I combine the two, four specific stewardship values. They make them part of the DNA and the culture of the organization. They're not just posters on the wall. The first is interdependence. The belief that the more I do for the world, the more successful my business is going to be. If you don't believe in interdependence, you don't believe in stewardship or steward leadership. The second is taking a long-term view. That there may be some short-term cost, but in the long run, we're going to be far more successful. And no, I'm not worried about some financial reports that convince me about causality of doing the right thing and making more money. I am going to uh, sort of show you the causality, which brings me to the third point. I take ownership. So interdependence, long-term view, ownership mentality. And the fourth is the most important, which is creative resilience. We know that the only way to stay on top of this is innovation. So hence, we have to build a culture of creativity. But innovation says that you're going to fail eight out of 10 times. So build resilience so that we don't give up. So those are the four values. That's the reason why they do it. They embed it into the culture. Second, they give themselves a purpose, which is a stewardship purpose of creating a collective better future for stakeholders, society, future generations, and the environment, whatever that might be for their business. And the third step is the last and the final step is what happens every day. Now that you have a compass of your purpose and your values, every decision from strategy to execution to hiring to firing to pricing, every decision goes through the lens of the compass. If you do that, you're going to do good, uh, do well by doing good. And we need to get this knowledge uh, and proof points of this to as many people as we can get. So I think those discussions of stewardship and purpose are a bit lacking in the ESG discussions, but I do think they're vital. And I'll give an example of where I've worked on stewardship. So I used to work in the seafood industry and the Stockholm Resilience Centre, I'm going to talk a little bit about academia, published a paper uh, in academia. Yeah, it's brilliant. Needs to come into these discussions more. 2015 on the keystone actors. So that's the idea, you know, keystones are the piece that holds a bridge together. Who are the keystone actors in the ocean economy uh, for sustainability of the oceans? And so they looked at the seafood companies who were the biggest seafood companies in the world. And really if those big seafood companies acted in a sustainable way, so catching fish sustainably, treating people sustainably, then you would have a more sustainable ocean because the problem with the oceans is nobody owns the ocean is the tragedy of the commons. Anyway, they identified, I think, 15 companies, but then they went beyond academia. They brought those companies together. And I think nine of those companies are still working together under an initiative called CBOS. The idea that there's collective action for a resource that they don't own and that they are still collaborating now many years later, it really does speak to that idea of stewardship and that they're in it together each is still making their own profits, they're profitable companies, but they get more out of the collaboration than they would have if it was purely competition, particularly where it comes to sustainability. And I think there isn't enough of that level of discussion on purpose, stewardship, 
and that value lens uh, in the ESG discussion. It really, to me, ESG is about the data points. How do you measure things on environment, social and governance? How can you compare, contrast, benchmark, but not why are we doing this? And I think she's nailed it. That's the that's the key element that's missing in ESG. We are not saying, uh, Temur, that ESG is bad in itself. What we are saying is that it's become a checkbox activity at its at the best and a greenwashing uh, tool at its worst. What it needs is that spirit uh, of the why, uh, which is the right values and the right purpose. And coming back to SMEs, I think the fact that some SMEs look at it purely as a unnecessary cost that these my government is imposing on me or my regulators imposing on me, they don't understand my pain points, I think that's a matter of uh, lack of awareness. Uh, there is plenty that every individual, big or small, can do with that heightened awareness. I don't, again, I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just saying. And the, the reason that I, I kind of get a bit defensive about people who sort of say, oh, this is, the, the definitions are too broad and everyone's trying to do too much, is that this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because the US big money is funding exactly this narrative campaign. They're trying to apply the word woke and they're trying to dismiss all of it and reverse all of it by turning it into a culture war issue. And the Republican Party set up the Environmental, Social and Governance Working Group recently, which you will have heard of. And I'll, let me just read you their raison d'etre here. Was created at the beginning of this Congress for the specific purpose of developing a policy agenda designed to protect the financial interest of everyday investors from progressive activists who are using our institutions to force far-left ideology on Americans. This has become, in the US, a major political, social, cultural bun fight, for, to, to, put it, to put it mildly, right? I mean, everybody tries to beat the US up on this because all I'm not trying to beat the uh, US up. I'm naming you specific yeah. institutions and people who have taken specific action backed by huge money. I think people with huge money and huge power all over the world try to protect their interests. It's, no, it's just the US. You get all the stories from the US, so it's much more pronounced from there. Uh, so I think that behavior is everywhere, what you're just talking about, which is why... Uh, and it's powerful. Yes, it is, which is why legislating is not the answer. I see now some regulators talking about uh, making it compulsory for companies to report on culture as part of their corporate governance activities. Uh, heaven forbid. You know, again, we will create a plethora of opportunity for people to checkbox and do things. Stewardship, culture, DNA, in a real genuine intent, right? The genuine desire and persistence to create a collective better future can only come from motivating people from within. It cannot come from legislation. How and, do we do that? And because if we do that, if we try to do it through legislation, the same thing will happen. But how do we motivate them from within? Education. Education, education, education. Every 20 people that you educate, two will wake up. Every 100 people you educate, 10 will wake up. And then once we get to Pareto's 20%, we have hope in this world. Today, 20% of the people are not awake to this problem. Yeah, and get into individual self-interest. Because you've said within your framework, you know, you identify how this is in the interest of the business. They can still be profitable. They can still continue to grow. But what are the aspects that they need to collaborate on and where do they need to focus in this stewardship framework? And I think it's about pointing out it isn't be profitable or be ESG compliant, 
it is finding that sweet spot between the middle. Now, not all of the current business models are going to be in that sweet spot. Some are going to get go by the wayside, but that really is development and evolution. What it seems to me that we're saying is that we should actually be talking about ESSG. Stewardship should be an extra S in ESG. It should all come together, no? In fact, I've just written a book on this in which I say that ESG must be upgraded to ESL, where L stands for leadership, specifically steward leadership. And then governance practices become a part of a subset of steward leadership, and it has to happen in the boardroom. So yeah, absolutely. As an ESG practitioner, or at least somebody who practices in the space where this is very much a daily activity, is there modification do you think, that could be done to the ESG framework that would enhance it and would get rid of some of the problems we're talking about? Oh, well, I need to write a book now. Really. <laughs> I think whatever you call it, people can always argue against it. Mm -hmm. It is the intent and what we're trying to do. And that's where we've come into problems because people are trying to do compliance or they're trying to do greenwashing. They aren't really following the intent. And that intent is a culture change. People are mean, that's what you're saying. People are mean. People are horrible. Hey, I've got teenagers. That's, People are mean. That's the human condition. That is the human condition, which is why trying to convince everybody, whether through any any framework or any tool or any means, is, is an impossibility. We just have to wake up enough people to be able to make a meaningful difference together. And that will happen through education. I mean, you know, uh, 50 years ago or less than 50 years ago, most people thought that smoking was good. People thought that, you know, having a Coca-Cola uh, reduces your headaches. But today, through education and awareness, less people think so, right? And that's what it is. But also through legislation. Come on, let's be honest. It's, it's through legislation that more people are oh, aware. I did through not government action. I did not give up smoking smoke. because of legislation. I gave up smoking 30 years ago, and I had, a legislation had absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, it was education. That fewer, made fewer, people, fewer people are taking up smoking because of legislation, and fewer, more people are getting educated because of legislation, surely. But then isn't I don't that know. culture I disagree change? With that. I, isn't I think, it culture? I think it's not, a, it's not a, because of legislation. I think it's because of better education. Today, science and education which is, is telling more people... Which is part of the people, culture change, Which right? is the culture change. Exactly. So I think ESG might need a C in there about culture. I don't necessarily want it regulated, but I do think you need to have the reason to change. And that's what steward leadership focuses on. It focuses on building a culture based on those four values and a collective better future purpose. That's exactly what it is. It's about the culture. It's about the DNA. I've said that a few times. And that is why. And forming a culture, by the way, whether you do anything or you don't, your organization has a culture. What is culture a... So what is culture? Culture is your organization's values Inaction or inaction. So inaction two words or inaction one word. Now, everybody has values. Even Enron had values of honesty, integrity, this, that, and the other, right? Boeing had value, has values well, of you know, customer first and this, that, and the other. And Engineering they had them, first. They just didn't follow them. It was just not part of the culture. There were posters on the wall. Whereas some business leaders, they say those posters on the wall are sacrosanct religion in our company. And if you do not uh, stand by those, you're out. That's when culture takes root. All right. We, we, we all need to get out there and persuade 10 people that this is how their businesses should be run. No? 20 out of 100. By the end of the week, Tamil. <laughs> I don't know 100 people. So be, beyond, beyond educating other people and integrating stewardship and culture into the SG framework, uh, we don't have any clues. We don't, we, we've, got, we've got nothing. I think companies and individuals need to take responsibility and think about what does it mean to me and what will I do differently? 
If you're waiting for regulation, it means you're waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. If you have agency, then you can take those actions yourself. So I think it is about people and companies are made up of people thinking about what can I actually do, which will make a positive difference. And that is partly going to be how culture changes. I couldn't agree more. I think you you, you, you hold a mirror to people, most people wake up. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had 50 people from a developing country's uh, a Ministry of, um, uh, of Government Health Businesses very senior people with us for three days recently. And they came in saying that, you know, this West has to stop lecturing us, these problems of environment and society, they don't understand, they tell us what to do. We have limitations in our country, we have a lot of poor people in our country, and there's so much we can do, so little we can do, blah, 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 blah. And there was a lot of opposition to what I was trying to preach, which is to know you can take ownership, you can be a steward, you can, interdependence is in your own good, you will be more successful. And it was falling on deaf ears. But then at the end of the, three days when we laid out case study after case study after case study to them saying, this is for your own benefit, right? And then I, I, I asked them, I said, before you leave, tell me with all your constraints, if there was something you could do starting tomorrow morning that would make a difference to environment and or society, what would it be? And we gave them 15 minutes to think about this. Everybody came up with four or five things that they said they would try to do the next morning. Uh, hello? Just because you focus three days and specifically 15 minutes thinking about it, you could already come up with so many ideas. Imagine if we could make this education more widely available in it and awareness more widely available. And just remind people that they are not as helpless as they think they are. Um, I think there's hope. And that it's their problem to solve. Exactly. It's not that somebody else is going to come in and solve it for them. Exactly. And, and, and very educated, highly educated people, cognitively educated people don't realize that until you hold the mirror and remind them of it. So that reminder, I think there's a lot more we can do besides just the culture. And My final thought is that reminding people of things, showing people and educating people of things, getting them to wake up to certain facts is a matter of shaping narrative. Culture is in large part shaped by narrative. Narrative is determined by money uh, and who has the loudest voice in that space. And this is what we're seeing in the ESG space. We're seeing a lot of people spending a lot of money buying airtime, buying print, making sure that the narrative that the ordinary person is hearing is that this is all woke rubbish. And until we can counter that kind of big money narrative shaping activity, we're all going to be suffering under it because behavioral science tells us what people remember is the loudest and last thing that entered their ears. But they also remember lived experience. So I have seen this, you know, where a country will experience perhaps terrible floods or maybe it's fires. Um, bushfires are a very good example. You know, Canada has had fires, Europe has had fires, Australia has had fires. Once you experience these extreme events, that lived experience starts to have more impact than what you're reading that says this isn't real and it's not happening. And there's one more reason to be hopeful, that those people who are using big power and big money, uh, that their days may be numbered. Here's what I believe. Uh, not believe. It's based on global research in 28 countries. You see, we live in times where the ordinary person is much more empowered than ever before in human history. Why do I say that? Because every ordinary person like me today carries a supercomputer in their pocket, right? 
uh, there's six billion of these uh, on the planet I wouldn't already. say you're an ordinary person, Rajiv. <laughs> and leaders are powerful people like everybody else. So we, A, we are all human beings much more empowered than ever before. We are also much more naked than ever before because of the same connectivity. And that's true for those leaders who hold the power as well. So the, the time taken uh, in my reading of evolving cultures in, in, in the globe is the time taken to bring bad actors to book is getting shorter and shorter. Because of the rampant nakedness of society, everything we say, everything we do today is in full public view, and the ordinary person is very empowered. So I think uh, with that collective power, we can hold those people to account. Now, I know that's wishful thinking, and these powerful people seem to be uh, suppressing the ordinary, but that's a matter of time. I think that's changing, and that's the good side of technology. Okay, so uh, Darian, it's been about a week since we actually recorded that segment and during the time I've been editing it. I've seen a steady drip of articles and commentaries about ESG and complaints and considerations, and it looks like this story is not going to go away in terms of the dispute about the value of this framework. But, uh, you know, so much of what we talked about and so much that's being written about is, is all fairly, you know, esoteric. It's philosophical and stuff like that. I mean, if we reflect on the conversation we had last week and put it in the context of business practice and business priorities and the risk to businesses, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think is the takeaway from all of this? So I think the takeaway from our conversation with Rajiv is that you need to have some purpose behind the ESG commitments or sustainability commitments that you're making. I think businesses get into trouble on ESG or broader sustainability issues when they're doing it purely for the trend or for marketing reasons. But if we reflect on what Rajiv was talking about with stewardship and looking after particular issues and that it ties in with the purpose and values of the organization, then I think it actually is reducing your risk because you're working on things that you genuinely think have a business impact and genuinely have a sustainability impact. Yeah, I'd hate to see business leaders now turn around and go, well, since ESG is such a waste of time, I'm not even going to bother considering any of its facets. So I don't think they will, and particularly because the regulatory requirements are fast coming up from behind. So certainly the larger listed companies are going to need to do sustainability reporting or ESG reporting of some sort or another. And that will have a trickle-down effect to the smaller companies who are supplying into those larger companies. We also have a raft of regulations coming out of the European Union, which are supply chain focused, whether it's the carbon border adjustment mechanism or relating to deforestation or human rights due diligence. So I don't think the demand will go away. What it gets called may end up changing. And you're right, there has been a constant... Yeah. I guess, flurry in the media about different perspectives of whether ESG is dead in its death throes and dying or living on in another form. But I think that's where it's important to tie it back to what Rajiv was saying about why you're doing this work. And look, it doesn't really matter what it's called, does it? I mean, if, it, if we add extra elements to it, if we refine the framework and its criteria and its priorities, it doesn't matter. So long as we are still pointing in the right direction of getting companies to take these considerations on board, right? I don't think it matters as long as we have a common understanding. And that's 
proudly Tamil while we're doing these podcasts to help people understand what the issues mm. are and how they manage those risks. Great. And then we'll keep doing it. So until the next one, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.